Pulp MX Network production. To this day, when I hear that song, I see you standing there on that lawn. Discount shades, store bought tank, flip flops, and cut off jeans. Somewhere between that. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Pro Glow Wash, Works Connection, Bass Foundry, TL Speed Shop, Grandstone Boots, and Fly Racing. Good afternoon, good morning, good night. Whatever time you're listening to this, it's actually uh, Sunday afternoon for me, April 2nd, and this is the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas. As always, I am hosting this, and yeah, by myself. I just kind of talk to myself. And I think that might be a sign of insanity. I need to probably get that looked at. But for those of you who have been listening for a while, you know that I just ramble on this podcast. I make notes, kind of take some observations down to uh, steal Steve Mathis's column's name. And just kind of go over it. And the concept really of this from the very beginning has just been a podcast where I could steer the ship. You know, I've been very fortunate to be a part of many successful podcasts, uh, Pulp MX Show, the Fly Racing Race Review Podcast, it's just all kind of the moto shows that are out there. I've been a part of a many of them, right? And, I, and I'm very thankful for that. But I'm also a passenger on many of those podcasts, which is fine, but I also wanted one where I could talk about what I wanted to talk about. And if I really wanted to deep dive into something, I didn't have to worry about anybody else's segments or Steve's time trying to stay you know, on, on time so we can get other guests on or anything like that. It's my time. If I want to go long, if I want to go short, I can truly do whatever I want as long as I am pleasing the listeners and doing right by my podcast sponsors. Speaking of them, you knew it was coming. I want to thank them really quickly. Pirelli Tires, Plum Creek Funding, Guts Racing, Works Connection, Fast Foundry, Pro Glow Wash, International Vet MX Series, TL Speed Shop, Grant Stone Boots, and Fly Racing. And I have some details and some uh, great products they have and, and news and updates on them that we will get into a little bit later. But what are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to cover what we saw in Seattle. And I apologize, this is a week delayed. I was in Mexico. And to be quite honest, I just kind of disconnected for a week. I didn't, uh, I didn't do a lot of work. I didn't really have to do much as far as podcast goes. I did do some stuff with Steve, yes, because he, he you know, needed some help, and, and I promised him I would. But um, otherwise, I just unplugged, and I felt like I needed it. Um, you know, this, these series are a lot, and we just keep going and keep traveling, and it just doesn't feel like it really stops coming for a while. So this little break, weekend off, um, I took advantage of it. So for those of you who were uh, looking for content last week and I didn't provide it, I apologize. But we're back and we're going to talk about Seattle a little bit. We're going to talk about what happened at the MotoGP race today in Argentina. We won't talk about that a ton, but I'll cover what I thought. Uh, I'll briefly touch on MXGP. Um, not, not too much there either. That series is kind of getting underway. But I just wanted to get an update here. I wanted to give you guys... My thoughts, especially on Seattle and what I am looking forward to in Glendale, which we're a little less than a week away from. 
the 250 class, I don't want to say it's boring. That's really lazy content and I should be better than that. But I'd be damned if it doesn't feel kind of boring. You know, we know so much of what to expect and the results are almost predictable. I don't even, they are predictable. I don't even know if almost it's the right word anymore because it's been this Jet, RJ, McAdoo, you know, triumvirate for a while. And really the only question has been when and if RJ is going to pass McAdoo for second. That's really seems like the only suspense we have because Jet is managing the series. And yes, he, you know, he, he has a decent points lead. I think he's up to near a full race now. I, I'm not looking at it, but I know it's around that. Which is probably not indicative of how controlled of the series he's been. But to RJ Hampshire's credit, he's been right there behind him every step of the way outside of A2. So he's been able to keep it within range. You know, if Jet was to have a mechanical failure or some sort of huge mistake, RJ would, would be within striking distance, theoretically, mathematically, right? But in a real sense, in reality of who's winning the series and, and who really has a you know firm stranglehold on this thing, we know it's been Jet. He's just been the best guy, and he's been able to, to manage from the front or pass to the front or... You know what? Let's go back to Oakland. He just dominated everybody. It was the biggest win margin of his career. I think it was like 16 seconds or something like that. So, again, I don't want to say it's boring, but if, if you're looking for all these storylines and really something to, to sink your teeth into and to talk about at the water cooler, this 250 West series is not it. Um, it just hasn't had the highs and lows and the – the edge of your seat excitement that we'd like. Um, you know, that last lap or a, a lap to go pass by RJ was pretty exciting. He got a lot more aggressive than I think he wanted to. He even made mention of that. He's like, man, I thought that was just going to be like a last corner block pass, but I got, you know, a little bit ahead of myself. Like we had another lap to go and I probably came in there a little bit hot, but I don't think that McAdoo can really blame him. McAdoo would do the same thing a hundred percent. I, you know, if you look at McAdoo's moves over the years, you look at his moves at Seattle, he's not above that, that move at all. So I don't think RJ has anything to really apologize for. Um, but you also have to know that you're going to get it back. If McAdoo has a chance to pay you back and be aggressive about it, he's going to do that. And that's just the way that things go, especially if you instigate it, you have to know that he probably owes you one and not, not a cheap shot, but aggression, right? And McAdoo to kind of surmise his weekend, like he's been really good. Don't get me wrong. And McAdoo is one of my favorite riders as a person in the, in the sport. I, I like him. I like his personality. I like his respectfulness. I don't know if that's a word. Um, and I just think he approaches things in the, the right way. And you've probably heard that me say that before about certain people, but I really value that. If you are, if you handle yourself in a certain way and you don't really say the wrong thing and you treat others with respect and you, that goes a long way for me. And McAdoo does all those things. And that's not to say other guys don't. I've just noticed it for a long time with McAdoo and that carries weight with me. On the bike though, I struggle with his decision-making at times, you know, that move where he tried to get back up the inside of jet there, stepping off that, like you just can't do that. That's not going to work. And the risk there is so high for both of you. 
that in a heat race, you, you can't do things like that. And, and McAdoo has a, he just has a tendency to do that type of thing. And I don't know if it's, I don't know what to point to. It's just a decision-making process that he's not great at. And he, I think he just takes too much risk. And that's purely my opinion. He doesn't have to care. He could disagree. He could also argue that that's the only way I can really be on the podium is taking risk like that. Otherwise, I'm going to get fifth. I, I can understand that. I, I get it. And, you know, he could also say, like, that's why you weren't better than you were in your career because you didn't take more risk. And I wouldn't have any argument that I'd say you're probably right. I just don't think that over time moves like that pay dividends. I don't think that's the way you go about it. And I would push back and give you examples like Jet and Tomac and Webb and Roxon. Those guys are very risk averse. They go really fast. They make smart decisions. They stay out of trouble. They know when to up the risk factor and when not to. Um, that's all a skill. All that is, is absolutely premeditated and you have to be very mindful in the moment. And I just think McAdoo doesn't do that enough yet. And maybe he, maybe he grows into that. Maybe it's something that as he matures and gets onto a 450, it'll come. Um, but it's just something I've seen consistently with him and I don't think it's doing him any favors. Uh, so we'll see if that ever changes. Um, a lot of times that's just inherent in your race craft. And I don't think that in a good way, of course. Uh, but yeah, it just can be something that you, in the heat of the moment, you make poor decisions. And I think that Cameron McAdoo has a tendency to do that. Um, I'm sure Nick Way, I haven't talked to him about it specifically, but I would bet you that Nick Way, it's something he's brought up to him because Nick was very much that guy that was risk averse. He made smart decisions. He never really put himself in a bad spots. If the situation didn't warrant taking risk, he didn't. Um, and, and that's, I don't really know how to quantify it. I'm trying to explain it the best way I can, but there are times when it makes sense to take a chance when it doesn't. And in a heat race right there with jet, like, I don't think that's it. If that was the main event and you're down towards the end, go for it, man. Like, I'm not going to blame you for that, but in a heat race where it's iffy on the risk reward ratio and you're it's not like a corner where you're going slow and you go in for a hard block pass. This is like in a rhythm section, jumping into the side of someone like that is such a bad idea in almost every possible scenario. Uh, so yeah, that's just my take on it. And I wish that cam could kind of break out of that. Um, just that tendency. So we'll see if he ever, ever does, or maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he thinks I'm an idiot. That's fine too. Um, Enzo Lopes, great job. He's the last 250 guy to note on. He went from last to fourth, almost last to fourth. Really good ride. He was on pace with the, the top guys. I don't know, you know, like, okay, maybe take Jet out because you always wonder how much Jet has left in the tank, or I always do. When he's just cruising out front, you, I'm like, I don't, I'm not sure how much faster he can go. I, I have a feeling it's quite a bit, but he's such a good race manager that he's probably holding back. So credit to Enzo. Um, he was going as fast as pretty much anybody was. Um, you just always wonder about what Jet is, is truly capable of. Oh, I did have one more uh, one more note in the 250s. Uh, Carson Mumford, really good job. He looked aggressive all day. I wondered how he was going to be because he's been hurt and he didn't have a lot of time on the Cowie. Like he, I think he's been hurt twice <laughs> since he's got on that bike. So I was kind of like thinking like, eh, it feels rushed coming back. How good is he going to be? But he surpassed all my expectations. He was fast in practice. 
He was second in the heat after leading laps, and then he finished eighth, which I thought was respectable. So great job for, for Carson Mumford. Hopefully he can turn this into something and uh, get himself a, you know, a shot on a, on a great bike for 24. But he's still got time in 23 to make something of this. So uh, kudos to him for, uh, for kind of already taking advantage of this opportunity. So for those of you who are newer listeners, I do what I call my power rankings. And it's basically just a top 10 ranking of the 450 guys. And it's, it's a big picture synopsis of how I feel the class is trending. It takes into account a little bit of last season, a lot of this season, how guys are trending short term, where I think they're going, right? So if, if I think somebody's on the move, I may put them ahead of somebody else that they've been getting beat by recently. But I just think that that's going to that trend is going to bear out. Um, and so I'll go ahead and move them. But a lot of these are kind of consistent. They stay relatively the same because you, you have so much data that I don't like to be victim of the moment. I don't like to just move a guy five spots because he had a great weekend. I, I don't typically do that because racing is more than just one week. You know, it's uh, one week does not a trend to make. Um, it's speaking in, in code and like Yoda there, but um, I, I just like to let things play out and get a little bit more of a macro view of how the, the sport is shaping up. So without further ado, at number 10, who was also at number 10 last week, is none other than Justin Hill. He also finished 10th in the race. So stop me if you've, <laughs> if you've heard him in 10th before, um, but I, he deserves to be here. He's been really solid for the last, I don't know, month. Um, and, and really, overall, he's been good all year. And I think he's just getting better and better. You have to remember, this is a guy who didn't race for two full years. So for him to be solidly back in the top 10 here, I think is truly remarkable. Uh, I have a lot of cre- a, a lot of respect for his skill set. Um, he was a guy that always, I felt like he was like lazy at one point of his career. And maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. He, you know, he won that 250 West title. But I just always felt like he was like a free spirit, wasn't in putting in the work type guy, was kind of relying on talent. Whether I'm right or wrong in that assessment, I don't know. But that was my, that was my, my outside view of him. Uh, but when I watch him now, I don't get that at all. Uh, I, I see his fitness late in the race. I don't see him fading at all. Like he's not losing touch. He's usually moving forward. And you can't fake that. What, you know, fitness late in the race, charging late in the race moving forward, passing super high-level guys late is not something that you can fake your way into. Um, that just takes a lot of hard work to be that good mentally and physically at the 20-minute mark. So for me, there's really no question about whether he's putting the work in or not because I know from experience that you cannot do those things without having put in all the work. So great job to Justin Hill. Number nine, Christian Craig, he slips back a spot. Uh, this week I had him at eight. Last week, he moves back to nine. Nothing he really did wrong. Um, I basically just swapped he and AC. Um, and that was a little bit based off of the results. But also, AC's been kind of running up front. He's been leading laps. Um, if you wanted to push back on me at all, you could say, well, you do know that Christian Craig won the heat race, right? And I'd be like, I sure do. You're, you have a great point. But in the main event, it didn't really show up. So I like where AC's trending. He's been getting a little bit better. He's shown a ton of speed, especially in, in you know qualifying. I can see kind of light at the end of the tunnel for him if he can continue to improve and stay healthy, which is always the thing with AC. 
Um, so I, I really have AC and Christian Craig like almost at a tie. And if you wanted to make them both kind of 8.5, I, I would have no argument there. Not that it matters, but um, I, I think they're really, really close to each other right now. But AC beat them last week, so I'll put them, uh, I'll slide them up ahead. Number seven is Aaron Plessinger, and everybody was wondering how he would respond to oh, that just brutal race in Detroit, right? Like such a heroic, brilliant performance for, I don't know, you know, 19 minutes or whatever it was. And then the heartbreak of that crash, you just don't know. Like physically, I know he was really sore from talking to him, uh, but mentally you just don't know where his head is. Is he, is he still ha- does he still have that heartbreak in his mind? Is he going to be able to focus on the job at hand? Is he going to be able to repeat that level of physical performance? You just don't ever – those are all questions that I think everybody had. I did. I'm sure he did. And that's another thing. Like a lot of times as the racer, you don't really know. Like you you don't – I don't think he knew where that race was coming – like came from. Like it was just such a breakout of what he had been doing. It's hard if you don't know how it happened and you're just like, man, you know, and you, you listen to his interview and he says everything just felt so easy. To me, in my experience, that's kind of like I don't really know how I did that. Like it just kind of happened. And I've been in that spot. I know what that feels like. And if you don't know how you did it and you don't know really what the catalyst was for such an improvement, you don't really know how to replicate it. So that was what I wondered for like, you know, people are asking like, man, he did it once. Now he's, he's you know, he unlocked something. He's going to, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I, I just don't know because I don't think he could just tell you, well, this is what we did. And this is why, like, we made some huge change on the bike and now I'm just a much better rider because of it. Like that's, if he had said something like that, I would be like, man, there, there might be something here. Like he may be able to just do this week in, you know, week in, week out. I didn't get that, that impression from him at all. I got it more as, yeah, things just clicked and I was on fire. Um, and that's not repeatable to me. It doesn't mean it can't happen again, but it's not something you can execute with, any sort of predictability. It's like more random chance. And if you keep putting yourself in a good position, your odds of something like that happening go up, but it's not something where, where you can go into a weekend and say, yeah, man, I'm going to, I'm going to be my best self and I'm going to win this weekend because it's just going to click again. Like that's not replicable. That's not something you can like engage and, and grab a hold of. Like it's not quantifiable. So um, yeah, he kind of did what, we thought, I thought maybe happening. He just puts in another decent ride, but that flash and that breakout level where he's just heads and shoulders better than everybody, we didn't really see that on the weekend. So he lands in seventh, nothing wrong with that. Um, and we'll see if he can kind of rekindle that Detroit fire um, in the coming weeks. Number six, Ken Roxon, kind of the same type of ride, right? Nothing special in Seattle. It wasn't horrible. Um, he gets sixth place on the night. It was it was just okay. Um, I you know what do you what do you make of it? I, I his weeks have been very similar. He does have the breakout rides like he did. Uh, where was that Indy? And then he's also had horrible rides like he did in Oakland. Um, but the norm has been around this five six, and when things don't go really well or really poorly, that's kind of where he ends up. It, it's right around this spot, and because of the guys in front of him, I think more times than not are a little better than him. And he just kind of gets pushed back. He can beat these guys in front of him. He absolutely can. He just can't 
have any sort of issue. He can't have a bad start. He can't have a tip over. He can't, you know, have a quote unquote off night. Like he has to kind of be clicking to be near the podium in my opinion. Like everything kind of has to go his way. Doesn't mean he can't win. He proved he can win. I, I was very, very doubtful on him winning anything this year to the point where I would have said no. Uh, but he got it done in Indy. So we have to have that in the back of our minds that he could just at any given moment get the whole shot and it could all come together for him. After all, it is still Ken Roxon, right? That's that's such a key part of this is he is one of the most talented riders on earth. And when things go his way, he can get it done. It's not an Aaron Plessinger thing where it's like, oh my God, how did that, how did he do that? Like we know Kenny can do it. It's just it happens less often than it used to. That's I think that's a fair way to kind of put this. At number five, I have Justin Barsha. And I mean, Justin rode really well, I thought. I mean, he got third, like really strong ride. He almost caught Cooper Webb at the end. Um, I don't know where this came from. Like the last six weeks or so, he has been so much better. And I really don't know what to point to. You ask him about the bike and he kind of was like, eh, not so much. Um, I don't know if, you know, you could say it's a contract year, but I, I never really, you know, thought of Justin Barsha as a guy that wasn't trying. He, I know he trains his ASS off. He's a huge bicycle guy. He rides motos endlessly. It's never been a lack of effort, in my opinion, with Barsha. Um, but it's clicking right now. Whatever is going on mentally, physically, maybe it's home life, like Kiefer says. Maybe, you know, I, I know he mentioned something about the forks are better. Um, but who knows? I don't know. I don't pretend to have the answer for Barsha, but he looked great. He is just riding, you know, better than ever. I, I would almost say better than ever. You know, this is the one of the best years I've ever seen him look. Aggressive, confident, technique. Um, is he going to win the championship? No. I don't think, but he still looks really, really good. And, and he's making a great case for Red Bull Gas Gas to, to sign him again. And that is not a cheap contract. Like he has paid a lot of money. Uh, so he needs to perform and he's doing it. Like if you wanted to make a case for getting re-upped at a really nice price, I think he's doing it. Whether they act on that or not, I don't know because I've heard rumors of Plessinger going there. You know, you look at Bar, she's getting a little long in the tooth, but it's, it's really hard to argue with his performance. So they're, if they're not planning on keeping him, they're making it very, very difficult to act on that. At number four, and it's going to get a little predictable from here, but that's okay. It's more about giving us talking points on each of these riders. But at number four is Jason Anderson. And not a bad ride for Anderson. He gets fourth. And there was a time during the main event in Seattle where I'm like, here he comes. He was moving up. He was making passes. He looked incredibly aggressive on the track. But the problem was, is I was watching his lap times and he was still slower than Tomac and Webb and the guys at the very front. So I had to almost check myself because I was like, oh man, he's going to make this happen. He's going to make this really interesting. And then I was like, eh, he's still like a half a second or a second off, you know, Tomac's pace right now. So, and, and Sexton, of course, which we'll get into Sexton's pace too. Um, so yeah, it was more of like, he's riding really well, but it's relative to the guys around him, um, but still really good. He's doing well. You know, I don't think he's performing to his level that he wants to be at. Like keep in mind, he hasn't won a race yet. He won seven races last year and he didn't get on the podium again. So I don't think he's happy about anything, 
but I think he's riding well enough to get himself a contract to stay at Cowie. I don't know what that number is going to look like. You know, that's what I've been talking about for the last few weeks. I think he stays there, but not winning and not getting on the podium certainly doesn't give you more leverage in the deal. But I, I do think he ends up on green again in, uh, in 24 and 25. At number three, of course, is going to be Chase Sexton. And I, what do you do with Sexton? Like, I don't even know where to start. Like, the guy is so damn good. But he's also in this rut of crashing and throwing race wins away. And I don't know where the blame goes here. I don't know how much blame he should shoulder. I don't know how much blame someone at Honda not listening to him should shoulder. I don't know. Like, I'm not involved in any of those conversations, nor should I be. And I think if you asked both sides, they would have wildly different opinions on where blame should be laid, right? If you ask Chase, I think he would be like, there's something going on with front end. It's there, 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 and all of a sudden it's not. And then if you go and ask Honda, they're going to say, well, okay, fine. Let's work on that more. What else can we do? But you've got to be more careful. You can't just, when you have a lead and you're going to win the race, which everybody, I think most people would agree he was going to win that race. You can't just ride with reckless abandon. When you know, you know damn well that the front end is biting you. Whether it's a problem, a air quote, you know, I have air quotes, a problem or not, like really something, I don't know. That's if you're Honda, this is what you're saying. Like, we don't know if there's really truly something going on. We have our doubts about that. But if this same thing keeps happening time and time again, you have to be more careful in that moment. When you've gotten to the front and you've pulled a gap and you have effectively won the race, right? With all intent, for all intents and purposes, whether it's Tomac or Webb or any of those guys, these guys know when it's like, man, I, I can't catch him. Like, he's just too fast tonight. Those guys all know that. They, this is These thoughts are going through people's heads. And there's no question in my mind, Tomac at Oakland and this weekend and other times throughout this season, they've all been like, yep, not going to get him tonight. And then Sexton ends up on his head, literally. So I think if you're Honda, you just have to be like, dude, you have to be more mindful of the front end. If, if you know this is – a consistent issue, then when you get out front, put more weight on the front. Do something. Make sure that the front's not going to step out. Maybe don't take as much risk. Maybe, you know, back the pace off a little bit and manage the race. And you want to look at a guy like Tomac's a good example. Jet Lawrence is a great example. When those guys get out front, they very, very rarely do anything to throw that away. Okay. Now Tomac did it at Arlington. I got it. It's not like it's never happened, but it rarely happens. And that's the thing. No one's going to blame Sexton once or twice a year. You know, you're in the lead and crash. Okay. If you win, you win six races and you crash out of one. Yeah. Things happen. Okay. I got it. You're, these guys are pushing the edge, but five times a year, six times a year, you're throwing wins away. You can't do that. You simply can't. And it doesn't matter if you still get up and get third like Sexton did at Oakland. Those five points that you threw away will absolutely kill you in a championship. So he's a bunch of points down now. What is he? Uh, ooh, eight. He was, I don't even know. I don't have the points in front of me. He's a lot of points out of the lead now. And I'm sure he was absolutely beside himself after the main event again. Uh, because he had it won, man. He had it. Um, I am so big on 
Sexton's future. I am. I am over the moon. What you know, markets turn bullish. Like I, I think he has so much potential in this class. But if he cannot figure this thing out, I don't know what to do with that. It's going to cost him a lot of money and in the record books and titles and races. It's it's really going to hurt. Like he's got to find a way to figure this thing out. And number two, Cooper Webb. And, and if you remember last podcast, I had him tied with Tomac. They were both, you know, 1.5. I have moved him back to two because I think Tomac did a great job of, you know, kind of reestablishing himself in Seattle. He beat Cooper Webb straight up. He pulled away from him. And Webb was, I, I don't want to say lucky. That's not the right word. Fortunate and did a great job of hanging on to second because Barsha was coming like a freight train. So, Tomac deserves to be one, and Webb deserves to be two. Uh, Webb's doing a great job. They're tied for the points lead. Like, it's this is a hell of a series we have going on here. Um, two heavyweight guys going at it. They're both wildly consistent. They're both veterans. They both don't make mistakes. They're both closers. Uh, you tell me who's going to win because I truly don't know. Um, I will say that Tomac has a lot of really good racetracks for him coming up. If you look at the, the tracks that are left, uh, Glendale has always been great for him. He's always been really good at triple crowns and Glendale has been one of his strongest tracks over time. It has also been one of Cooper Webb's weakest and I don't have the data to support that. I will be on TV next weekend and I probably will have data to support that, but I'm almost positive. This has been one of Webb's weaker tracks and I need to do some homework, but I will be armed with more homework. I just, when I look at Glendale, I don't think it's a good track for Webb because the whoops will be tough. It's slippery, low traction environment. It's going to be 90 degrees on Saturday. And so it's, it's not going to be super tacky. Like the dirt's going to be hard all week when they put it in. I don't think any of that is Cooper Webb's like perfect scenario, right? I, I just don't think that's, he can ride it fine, but to win in this class, you can't just ride it fine. You got to be, you have to be exceptional. And I think Tomac will be exceptional. I think Jason Anderson also will be too, but Anderson's not really a, a title threat anymore. Um, so I think that lines up nicely for Tomac. Then we go to Atlanta, and that's a that's a nice setup for Tomac. But remember, Cooper Webb's been really good at Atlanta also. So I think that one's kind of a 50-50 type deal. I don't, I don't have a really strong opinion about that one so much. New York, kind of the same. I could make a case for Webb. I could make a case for Tomac. I don't think it favors one or the other too strongly. Nashville, same. I don't really have any sort of – vibe or anything you know maybe Webb does good because it's in the southeast i don't know you know whatever but those are kind of like neutral for me i you know take your pick they both have to to establish themselves and get it done but then the final two rounds i really believe they give tomac an edge go to denver home race slippery he's so good in those conditions he's gonna feel at home at elevation i I think a lot of there's a lot of tailwinds for Eli Tomac at Denver, and then Salt Lake is more of the same. Uh, slippery, hard pack, elevation, all the things that uh, Tomac does extremely well. I know Cooper Webb won there in 2021. He won the championship and the race there, so I can't take anything away from Webb at Salt Lake. I just think it it is very favorable to Tomac, if that makes sense. So I'm still going to stick with Tomac to win the championship. I don't have a lot of conviction in that. But it's only because I think there are some tra- there are some races coming up that really favor Tomac, um, and we'll see if I'm right or wrong in that. But those are the top two, Webb and Tomac, of course, um, and they they deserve to be there. 
Uh, they're tied in the championship. Just what a what a great like few championships we have been. Um, yeah, we've been treated to. You know, last year's motocross championship was an all timer between Tomac and Sexton. Just unbelievable. And I was fortunate enough to be at almost every race and watch it and interview them and do all those things. You know, it was an experience I'll never forget. And Supercross is delivering the same way, and I'm right there again. So I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm I'm blessed to be doing what I'm doing and and have this up close. Uh, access to it and uh, yeah trying to make the most of uh, of this opportunity so again thank you uh, to the sponsors before we talk a little MotoGP uh, Pirelli is offering a rebate so if you go buy a set or or one you can buy one too a tire or a set of tires from your local Pirelli authorized dealer preferably from WPS if you can pull that off uh, you can then fill out the online rebate form from Pirelli and you can get $30 off an off-road set of tires or $60 off a set of street tires. So that's a pretty good deal. It's, there's no strings to it. All you gotta do is go in and buy the tires and then fill out the online claim form and they will send you a rebate in the form of a Visa gift card. Um, so pretty cool deal. Um, and again, any, any authorized Pirelli dealer, you can, you can do that through. Guts Racing. They have seat covers for power sports and e-bikes, and they have full seats for a bunch of brands now. They have full seats for Kawasaki's, which is, I think, their newest OEM they have them for. So check out Guts Racing. Palm Creek Funding, I always tell you guys this, just go ask questions, right? Rates are pretty high right now. We all know that. It's a tough time to do refis, but people need to buy houses. Like, it, it ha it's still happening. Like, housing is a, it's not something you can pick and choose with. So some people are just in a situation where they have to buy a house. What you need to do is get be armed with the best information, find out what loan is best for you, what, you know, if you need to do a 15, if you need to do a 30, how can, how can you, can you avoid PMI insurance? All those things are questions that Zach Morris at Plum Creek Funding can answer for you. And his number is 720-212-4685. And again, you want to, these are like monumentally important financial decisions. You know, that a house is going to probably be the biggest purchase you ever make. And to do something like that without knowing the entire picture is foolish at best. Stupid at worst, foolish at best. That's about as the best way I can put it. Um, so again, just reach out to Zach and ask. There is absolutely no harm. And your you know, knowledge is power. And knowledge saves can save you a ton of money in these scenarios. Uh, Works Connection, they have those Yamaha foot peg mounts that Chris Kiefer helped develop. They, are, they lower the foot peg location on the Yamaha, changes that rider geometry a little bit. Um, they've been really well received. They also have the Pro Launch Start device, and basically anybody that whole shots uses a Pro Launch Start device. Factory Honda, Star Yamaha, like all the all the good guys use a Pro Launch Start device from Work Connection for a reason. And you can use the promo code JT23 at checkout to save yourself some money on anything over at Work Connection. Pro Glow Wash. If you have a Power Sports, if you have anything, if you have a dirt bike, if you have a street bike, if you have a side by side, if you have a quad like Weege, if you have anything like that, you need to be buying Pro Glow Wash. It is specially formulated for the tough soil and chemicals that power sports have. And you want to be using something that's specifically made to get that stuff off. Chain lube, you know, if you ride at some track that has weird dirt, you know, you know how that stuff stains your bike. It's really hard to get off. And over-the-counter stuff that you get like at Walgreens typically doesn't get the job done. So check out Pro Glow Wash. Uh, Fast Foundry. Business is tough right now. Markets are actually killing it, but uh, a lot of people think we're heading towards a recession. I am one of those. Um, 
and you want to be in the best financial position possible, especially if you have a business that you are dependent on credit or lending or you need to borrow money. Maybe you buy inventory and you have to take out loans to buy inventory. That's pretty normal. It's difficult to borrow right now. Credit is getting tighter. There's not a lot of liquidity out there. And if you don't know what any of those things mean, that's okay. I'm just telling you that you want your business to be really efficient right now because you, if you get into a situation where you need to go borrow money to stay in business, it's not easy. It's really expensive to borrow. And sometimes the banks are just going to tell you no. There's this thing called a, a bank crisis, like bank runs going on out there and lending, uh, you know, eligibility to get loans is, is getting much tougher. Uh, they, it's just, you know, and, and if you do, the rates are really high. So what does that mean for Fast Foundry? You want to be in the best position possible. You want to make sure you are as capitalized as possible, as efficient as possible. And that can be a, a myriad of things. Um, you could be trying to expand. And how do you do that the most efficiently? You may be trying to set up a physical or virtual event. They can help with that. You could be wondering how to get your books in order. They can help with that. So check out Fast Foundry. Ask for Robert. And again, a lot of these, I always encourage just asking questions because even like for me, I'm, I'm here to help connect dots, but I'm not the expert on this stuff. You know, I, I try to study this stuff. I try to be it as informed as possible, but I'm connecting you with the expert that can truly answer your question, right? I just have a little bit of insight on some of these things, but they can take your specific scenario, you know, plug it into their brain or their formula and say, okay, this is where we need to be doing. This is what we need to be very careful of and watching for. These are the early signs of what are going to get you in trouble. Um, and those are all, you know, wildly valuable things to have in your corner. So check out, again, check out Fast Foundry. International Vet MX Series, their first event of the year was this weekend in Sandy Valley. They're probably actually riding right this second. And uh, what a great series it is. You know, they really cater to the vet crowd. Uh, you know, but it's it's a truly a weekend event. Like they had a open practice on Friday. They raced both Saturday and Sunday. You typically get three motos. There was live music Saturday night. They had a big raffle Saturday night. Like there's just so many cool events and it's truly like a family event to hang out all weekend. You get a ton of riding time. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all about that stuff. Like if I had to go racing, I, I don't have time to go racing, let's be honest. But if I was, this is the type of event I would want to be at where it's just a lot of like-minded people. You get to ride a lot. You get to hang out. There's th things going on there other than just the race. So you're, you know, your friends and family can all kind of hang out and make a weekend out of it. And I think that's what I miss about racing as a kid is like, you were there all weekend with your friends and, you know, your, your parents had friends with other racers and everybody was just kind of hanging out in your motorhome for the weekend. There was no like urgency. You weren't like packing up and loading, get in, get in and out. Like you were kind of there for the weekend. And, you know, my life is pretty hectic these days. There's not a lot of time to just sit around and chill. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I can, I can totally understand why that's so attractive to people to want to do get, just get to the track and be there all weekend and, and just get away. Um, that's kind of what I got to do in Mexico is just disconnect from everything. And, and if I wanted to engage in something great, but I didn't have to. Um, so that's what I think the international bet MX series is. You can check out their schedule at oldtimersmx.com. but their next event is in two weeks. It's in Fernley, Nevada at a, a track 95A. And I've never been to this track, um, but it's in Fernley, Nevada. So check them out. Go to oldtimersmx.com for more. And hopefully, they're, you know, again, their first round was uh, this, this past weekend that's going on right now. So hopefully that was a huge success. TL Speed Shop, 
I'm going to get to see those guys. Jason Cobb and the crew are based right outside of Phoenix in Wickenburg, Arizona. And this is a true power sports getaway opportunity, right? If whether it's a team building function for your, you know, where you work, or if it's a family vacation, or it's a guy's weekend, I, I get to do that every year with a bunch of my buddies. We go to a different city every year. Last year was Nashville, but at, something like this would be awesome, right? You get away, you get to reconnect with your childhood friends and, you know, everybody has their own lives going on, kids and work and all these things, but to just get to like spend time with true friends that you've been around your whole life that you don't get to see as much as you want to. And, you know, you wake up and I'm, you know, I'm going to be 44 this year getting older. Right. And I wake up and I'm like, man, like I miss a lot of these guys, you know, my real friends, Dan Truman, these guys, I talk to them. Sure. But I don't get to see them very often. So opportunities like this, what TL speed shop has, I think is so great because you can fly in there with whoever you choose to go with and they will take care of everything. They have everything dialed. They know where to go. They have, you know, destination stuff you can do. You can go to wine tasting. You can go to Baja. You can go to Sedona. They have all of these great ideas and they, they are the experts. They know what to do. Like you don't have to try to be a, uh, an event planner to put this stuff together. So uh, I would definitely encourage checking those guys out. TL Speed Shop, ask for Jason. And I, I'm very thankful I'll get to see him uh, in Glendale this weekend. It's a, just a really, really cool experience. They do a lot of, a lot of tro trophy truck racing, all kinds of stuff like that too. But I think for listeners of this podcast, a great opportunity is to go take advantage of, uh, yeah, these great trips that they have to offer. Grandstone Boots, um, I got to see Wyatt in Detroit. That was awesome. They are a Michigan-based company. And just such a great product they have. Um, I am very blessed. They have they have sent me so many pairs of you know different boots to try, and now they have these brand new sneakers. Thank you to Wyatt. I wore my sneakers last night, um, and it's just an incredible product across the board that they have. Much better than you know, like when they started, they had these boots, and it was like low cut, a few pairs, and I was like, ah, this is cool. Like you know, maybe they'll make it, maybe they won't. You know, it's a small company. This the Success rate for something like this isn't very high because it's such a saturated market. But now I look back and it's been like seven years, eight years, eight years. And I look at their product line and the breadth of it and they have wallets and belts and all. I'm just like, man, you guys are doing it. Like you're, you're really doing it. This is incredible. The product is insane. Like the quality is top notch, like as good as it comes. And I've, I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of really nice things in my life. And they're, I will put their, their, product quality up against anything out there. So check out grandstoneshoes.com. They're also on Instagram, uh, but I could not recommend their product any more highly. Last but not least, my place of employment, fly racing. I was not there all week. Um, so that'll be interesting. It's always, you know, when, you, when you're away for a week, you come back and you're like, okay, who decided that? Why are we doing this? And who, why, when I missed how many meetings? Like, it's so... That's what I'm in for tomorrow, um, and it's like this huge game of catch-up for me, but we have so many great products that are on the way. We have a you know a ton of events that we have planned, new product launches, uh, so I'm going to be I'm going to be buried this week trying to get caught up, but that's okay. That's what, you know, it's how vacation works, um, but I'm very, very excited for what the future holds for Fly Racing, and thank you to them for all of the opportunities that they provide me in my life, uh, professionally and otherwise. So before we sign off this thing, let's talk about MotoGP for a second. You know, they raced in Argentina today. This was the second round and it rained the entire weekend. Like, I don't, I don't know if there was a time where I turned it on for any of the qualifying practices or the sprint race or 
the main race where it wasn't wet or raining, um, which I guess is very rare for that area of the world uh, this time of year, but it was damn sure the case this weekend. So didn't look like a fun event to be at because you would have just been in the rain the whole time. Uh, but it is a place in the world where I really want to go. Um, I've been to Chile, which is right next door. I've been to um, Sao Paulo, Brazil, uh, but I've never been to Buenos Aires or this particular area for like where MXGP is or MotoGP, which are kind of in the same area, this Patagonia area. But I really want to make it down there at some point. It's kind of on my list. It looks like a huge pain in the ass to get to. Uh, I will say that. I think everybody has echoed that same thing, which is a little bit of a downer because it, it, it's such a brutal travel experience. It's hard to enjoy the trip as much. Um, but I, I probably need to make it down there at some point just to say I did it. But the race itself was kind of a kind of a snoozer, right? Like um, Marco Bezzecchi got up front and just made short work of everybody. Um, I was absolutely blown away to see Pekka Bagnaya throw away that what seemed, you know, would have been a second or third place in my opinion. Just could not believe he did that. I mean, this is the defending world champion. He's usually very calm, cool, calculated. But remember... He did kind of the same thing last year at the beginning of the year. He made some foolish mistakes, but then just caught fire late and nobody could touch him. I think we may be in for that again. I don't know. If you watch the opening round, nobody could really get near him. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of weekends where it's just that way. Like he's just better than everybody because that Ducati is so phenomenal. Um, and, he, and when you look at the form he's on, coupled with how much better that Ducati is than any other bike, then you have Marquez already hurt. Fabio's Yamaha doesn't look good at all. Um, Marbidelli did pretty good this weekend, but I don't think the Yamaha M1 is is there. You know, like they just didn't take a big enough step to be on pace with Ducati. I know they were hoping to. I talked to Fabio himself. I talked to the Yamaha guys. They were really hopeful about making a, a big improvement and being in the fight um, and not having, you know, right now they need Fabio to basically pull off a miracle each weekend to win. Like if they expect him to beat all the Ducatis, and now KTM's, he has to be his, like put on the ride of his life to do that. And I don't, I think that's asking too much of him. Like Yamaha has to close the gap down, and I'm sure they're trying. I, I don't, I don't know anything about engineering. I'm sure they're doing everything they can. Um, but to for anybody to think the Ducatis are not a full step ahead of everybody is probably fooling themselves. You just look at how easy it is for them to stay at the front, whether it's Alex Marquez or Bezeki on the old bike. Obviously, Pecco, I mean, you just go down the list, all of them, all of them are at the front. Jorge Martin, they're, they're all so damn fast on the same bike. That's, that's not coincidence. Like, the bike is just incredible. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a wet race. There wasn't a lot to talk about. I thought Jack Miller would be better. I thought he had an opportunity to maybe steal a win at this race. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think he even said in his Instagram post that he kind of felt like an opportunity got away there. But when it's raining, you always think he's going to be like, he's doing the, the happy dance, right? Like this is his opportunity. And he did okay. He just wasn't as much of a uh, a threat as I thought he would be. Same for Bender, right? I think Bender would have been there late had he not crashed on the opening lap. So lots of missed opportunities. Bagnaya missed opportunity. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting. I just don't know. If you look at a guy like Bezeki, I don't know if he's going to be able to maintain this, right? You see guys like Bastianini and some of these guys, like they're really good at times, but I think they're going to have a lot of mistakes too, where they throw races away. You know, it's inexperience. It's just those guys are on the edge every time they get on the track. And it's really hard 
to put together week after week after week of not, you know, without throwing it away. It doesn't take much. You just, the front pushes for an instant and, you know, your race is ruined. That's how it, the, the pass fail line for MotoGP is so narrow and one mistake will end your weekend. So um, I, it was horrible to see Marquez not there. He's my favorite rider, although I don't, I don't love his decision-making lately. He's, man, he's really put himself and other people in a lot of harm's way. But um, I still really like Marquez. So to, to watch the race without Marquez is not as much fun for me. Um, I really didn't enjoy his when he was gone for like a full year. That sucked. Uh, it really kind of soured me on the whole sport for a bit. Not that I didn't like it. I, just my interest level was lower, to be fair. So hopefully uh, Mark is back for Coda, which is the next round. Um, but yeah, I wish it would have been dry. I think the race would have been much more interesting had it been dry. Because if you watch that sprint race, that was insane. Like that was truly insane. Those guys were battling around and passing each other everywhere. Um, but you throw the rain in there. Those, they, they can't do that. They can't push anywhere. They can't really take any risk. Uh, so it was kind of a, a little bit of a boring race. So that's it for this week. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, hopefully Glendale is awesome. Back to the triple crown. I will be back on television again, which I'm very excited and uh, happy about. And yeah, should be, it's going to be like 90 degrees. So summer will be in full effect when we get to Phoenix. Talk to you soon and see you.